Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I like your sheets. I, they, they look a lot like yours. <laughs> they do, don't they? They do. Plaid shirts, plaid sheets. <laughs> that was genuine and authentic. It uh, was like, we talked about that off podcast and they were like, that was funny. somebody get us another... See, we don't even need the intro. <laughs> we just... <laughs> Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theatre Happy Hour, the only musical theatre podcast with trills. I expected that to go a lot better than it did. That was amazing. Let me see if I can. I went too high. I thought, no. No. (laughs) Sounds like you're drowning. No, I can't. Why can't I do it? I can normally do it. Because we're getting old, Jimmy. Oh no, it's going to be one of those ones. I'm crying already. Did you did you mean Tang is in the powdered orange drink as well? I think so. We don't have it, but I know it's a thing. We do have it, probably because of the Simpsons. It's an no. We don't have it. it. We're not the same. Oh, I forget. Our sheets are so similar. I know exactly. You think we're the same human? Um, No, we don't have it. We have something called cremola foam. Which I think it might be similar to because that is powdered uh-huh. and then it becomes a drink. It's a cremola foam. Cremola foam, and the the like the fun part of cremola foam is uh-huh. it like fizzes and it's like Whoa. oh, you, know, you get that like um George you ha- seventeen cremola foams. I thought five, maybe six cremola foams, but the seventeenth. No, too too deep of a joke. Cremola, well done. <laughs> A Sunday in the Park with George one. Fascinating. <laughs> um, that was good. Thank you. I try sometimes. I like that. Um, yes. Cremola. No, the, like, the appeal is that it's like frothy. It, like, a, you know, like the sort of... Um, it like no, bubbles, like nice Pop thing. Rocks or something? Or like... Uh, no, like... Um, uh, have you ever had like a milk like float? It... Do you call them flat floats? A milk like float? A, like a root no, beer float? No, ice cream float. Ice cream An float. ice cream float? <laughs> yeah. Like a root beer float. And you know, you get that like special foam. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Doesn't matter. This is this is why Americans have such trouble ordering food in the UK. (laughs) Can 
<laughs> you ask for the special foam. Can I have, can I have some special foam, please? With yeah. my bangers and mash and bobble and squeak. Uh, yeah. When you finally come over here, I'm just going to like feed you all of the fun stuff. I'm, it's so great. <laughs> I'm very excited, especially yeah. for the special foam. I'll get you some Corolla foam. Well, it got discontinued. There's a whole thing. It got discontinued. Oh, no. And then I think someone bought a patent. Oh, okay. Well, who knows? Um, Or like recreated it and it was the exact same thing. And then you can now buy it like little like market stalls and like shopping malls. Mm, Can't get it like in a shop, but in like special places around Christmas time for the nostalgia factor. (laughs) Can find Corolla foam. Anyway, Tang. So what is Tang? What is Tang? powdered orange drink um is is, it like um kool-aid but orange uh that'd be a very close comparison yeah it's made for the space program oh Um, yeah one of those few nasa inventions like spandex fun and the foam would not work in space Mm, yeah there's no no in space no one can hear you foam uh speaking of jimmy what are you drinking today (laughs) cremola foam literally no but wouldn't that be good if i was that would no oh crap i haven't thought of anything today i am drinking maybe you say what you're drinking do you have one (laughs) i do have one okay you say what you're drinking and then something will come to me i'm actually drinking a tangerine cream ale from station 26 brewing which is inside a firehouse that has yet to be burnt down or exploded. Well done. (laughs) I'm drinking... I am drinking a 1902 Chardonnay. Well done. It is not good. You made it. (laughs) Wow. What did I say earlier about me thinking this won't go well? (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll soldier on because we have a quiz question from I'm last sweating. time. Yes, we do. Tell us it, Tommy. To our knowledge, this is the only time the Tony Awards nomination committee has withdrawn a nomination from a production. It was for this show. Hmm. And we've had a whole Tony since then. I know. Thankfully, it didn't happen again. It didn't to happen. Our again. Nothing's been withdrawn um, this year. Yep. So, what could it possibly be? <gasps> Ragtime. It's a huge show. And in the mm, revival in mm, uh, 2009, 
Um, it was initially nominated for Best Costume Design, but mm-hmm. then later on they decided that this new costume design, quote-unquote, substantially replicated a previous design, and so it should not have been eligible for the Tony, and they withdrew yeah. the nomination. It's awkward, isn't it? Isn't it's that proper, weird? like, awkward turtle. When I wonder, since, since then, it seems like the Tony uh, nomination committee has been a little more um, diligent with their nomination meetings, and I suspect yes. it is because of this show. Yeah, because that, that, I mean, that is bad, isn't it's, it? You it's don't embarrassing. Want that to happen to you. Yeah. You really don't. So, Ragtime, hey, it's another Aaron's and Flaherty. Um, music by Stephen Flaherty and lyrics by Lynn Aaron's and the book by Mr. Terence McNally. Uh, great book writer, fabulous book writer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on a novel of the same same name by E.L. Doctorow. Yes, Doctorow. Well Did I do it right on the first one? yeah. Doctorow. Absolutely fantastic. Who is a big old novelist, so Wikipedia tells me. Mm-hmm. I forgot how to mm-hmm. read in high school, so... My dad loves this novel. Really? Fun facts. Um, <laughs> straight off the bat. Uh, yes, it premiered on Broadway in 1998. And it won. an interesting beginning. After a, a complicated beginning, which I'm sure we'll yes. get into. Um, yeah. It won Best Book, Best Score, Best Orchestrations, and Audra McDonald won Best Supporting Actress. Yes, she did. And then it came over to my neck of the woods in 2003. And then it's been all over the place <coughs> ever since. It has. Hooray. Ragtime. Here we are. This is a big one. This is a big one. Whew, to buckle buckle your seatbelt. Um, oh. But weirdly, mm-hmm. uh, it's a big one. We'll probably, classic, we'll talk about this in a bit. But yes, it's a big one. But also, like, is it? That's a good question. The, right? What a be- beautifully phrased well question. Well phrased, specific. It is mm-hmm. certainly, it has a, I think, difficult to summarize plot. Yep. There's just a lot of players. Um, Ragtime takes place around the turn of the century, uh, turn of the last century in America, and follows three big groups of people. Um, uh, Kind of, you know affluent white group um centering like wasp community waspy community in new yeah. rochelle new york um you know aristocratic white family um yeah. a uh you know the many black people at the time i don't want they're not a particular group but a couple black characters and definitely categorized as a group in the show um and yeah. then um the the it also chronicles the journey of an uh, eastern european immigrant and his daughter and I want to say the group of them, but really we only see the two of them throughout most of the show. Yeah, with like a couple of extra like stars. Yeah, that um, pop up here and there. From that community, but for the most part, yeah. yes, they're the, the main uh, immigrant family. So, um, yeah, and it's it, obviously based on the book where it's all of these connecting stories that mm-hmm. they come together. They're not disparate. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and they also feature, interestingly, uh, historical characters um from the real world yes uh so people like um booker t washington Mm -hmm. or um jp morgan henry ford nesbitt harry Harry houdini Houdini. yeah and on and on and on it is the book at first and then the musical is an interesting piece of uh like his historicalized fiction um Mm -hmm. i'm even reticent to call it historical fiction because it does Mm -hmm. it certainly plays fast and loose with some of these real life people but in an attempt to characterize them and like bring them into the story in some bigger and smaller ways Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I wonder, 
Is Emma Goldman like the most musicalized historical figure? <laughs> <laughs> Could be an interesting one to research. That would be She'd certainly be up there. Oh, well, hold on, let me get my musical theater mash ideas notepad out and yep, sure. jot that down. All right, taken care of. Moving on. I'll give you that for free. Um, okay. <laughs> I think let's dive right in. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. comes at a really interesting place in I think American musical theater um, it were the Broadway premiere was in 1998 but it kind of got its uh, it had a, a Toronto tryout in 96 um, and a couple other tryouts out along the way and mm. a lot of this has to do with a guy named Garth Drabinsky um, yes indeed have you heard of the producer Garth Drabinsky before researching the show Jimmy um, not before researching this show me neither. Which surprised me. I know. Because I've done a wee bit of research into producing crooks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he is... Uh, my favorite is is how... I always, you know, you Google someone and you find the beginning of their Wikipedia article, and the first mm-hmm. sentence is always very specific, and then the second sentence is always the catch. Um mm-hmm. And Garth Drabinsky's Wikipedia article reads, Garth Howard Drabinsky is a Canadian film and theatrical producer and entrepreneur. In 2009, he was convicted and sentenced to prison for fraud and forgery. Great. <laughs> it gives you such, <laughs> such confidence, doesn't it? Which was, of course, far after his ragtime um, exactly. experience. Um, but he was, he was a, a, a film guy before ragtime and then became a big um he actually his production company owned a bunch of theaters in toronto which was part of the reason why they tried out there um but his his big thing and you'll hear this precipitate down as we continue to talk about the show Mm -hmm. was he wanted to produce musicals the same way you would produce a movie um Mm -hmm. and so he asked for tons and tons of revisions of the book and you know we're gonna try this out and try that out and have multiple tryouts and we're you know this is one of the first musicals to convene focus groups about the musical where they would interview audience members after the show and ask them Mm -hmm. like do you understand the plot does the plot not make sense which part of the plot doesn't make sense what can we do it to make sense for you more um and a lot of that it, it is interesting to kind of tease out among the contemporary reviews of the time whether people 
critique that method or the results of that method um because mm-hmm. you know how broadway gossip goes um but also i don't know if you could create a musical of this complexity without that kind of perspective like he certainly you know kept his artists in line which is the the goal of any producer yeah um it it was interesting you see that because um obviously with any adaptation Mm -hmm. the dream is that you can have the original creator right there with you right um so that you can always be trying your best to stay true mm-hmm. to the original thing and that's what happened with ragtime dr o was actually heavily involved yes in the writing process he was over there he had first right of refusal mm-hmm. for anything i think yeah um which i think is probably quite rare well and i believe a lot of i've been reading between the lines a bit but i think a lot mm. of the reason that happened was because ragtime was adapted into a film yes um that dr o was vastly disappointed with yes um, um and so part of the reason he was he signed on was you know only to be able to say and i can say what flies and what doesn't Exactly. And I think in the end, um, certainly when it came to, to Broadway, <clears throat> he was really happy with it. And he, he's, mm-hmm. he's been really vocal about how he thinks this is actually one of the best forms of his work mm-hmm. um, that exists out there. Uh, and yeah, so I find it really interesting, this sort of method of the focus groups and really wanting to get to grips with, are we telling this story yeah. to the best of its ability? Yeah. Um, uh, and it really makes me think, like, obviously, having directed some stuff before, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a big fan of feedback. And I always, you know, I'll have, like, my trusted few that yeah. I'll invite to my opening night and For then, sure. you know, get a few things or invite to dress or something. Um, but the thought of just casting the net right. and then li- having to listen to it yeah. is scary and i don't know necessarily if it's the best thing to do well a lot of reviews speak to a um like i I think it was a variety review that put it as a a lack of unified voice um Mm. which i do think might be an accurate critique of ragtime um Mm. like it is at times maybe in a more poorly produced production can feel a little scattershot and a little mm-hmm. all over the place um which you wonder how you get there right and part of that is yeah. you know you're adapting a book with a that's like trying to adapt les mis um but les mis doesn't have the critique of feeling scattershot so no. you wonder where that comes from and you know i think i think you're right it is doing focus groups putting out audience surveys is replicant of you know, all sorts of, you know, you read Finishing the Hat and all the time it's like, yeah, you know, so-and-so invited me to come watch this show and ask how I felt about it. And in the hotel room afterwards, I was really nervous to tell that, right? Like, this is a thing that's been part of the musical writing standard for decades already. Yeah. But to throw it out to, you know, the quote-unquote average person, the yeah. the fear is that you're going to cater to the lowest common denominator, which I don't exactly. think Ragtime does, but maybe it narrowly avoids it. No, I wouldn't. And... I I would almost say the complete opposite. Like I don't think it's entry level. Correct. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. I would never be like. Do you know what's really easy? Right. This <laughs> shouldn't see this shouldn't be someone's first musical. <laughs> I would say no. Um. But then I'm also like it, I'm not saying it's a bad example of musical theatre. Yeah. Absolutely not. Almost the complete opposite. But it's there's a lot there, and there's a lot to take. You kind of obviously you need to be kind of used to 
the, you probably need to see Les Mis first. Yeah, there's a there's a vernacular you have to be a little used to, and it doesn't. I I was re-listening to it again this morning, um, mm. and on my mind recently has been some of the narrative tropes of musical theater, um, mm-hmm. like the you know presentational like um, it's it started uh, because we were critiquing Beetlejuice. Um, yes, and uh, yeah, you know, welcome to a show about death, and we're going to tell you all this stuff and. You know, ragtime starts, you know, father built a house at the crest of the brook, right? And is punctuated all the time with this narration. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to tease out, one, how I felt about it, um, which I think I it's okay. And then why I feel that way about the, you know, kind of presentational narration in ragtime where I don't really like it in some other places. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think in ragtime, it is a necessary shortcut to you know otherwise like we don't have a lot of time for a lot of exhibition yeah um exposition exposition thank you yeah (laughs) too much exposition um about these characters um and so you know the shortcuts are a little necessary sometimes i think to the detriment of the show um Mm. sometimes i think like certainly you can get to the emotional core of many of these characters but a couple do get left in the dust because you don't have too much time to spend with them yeah yeah, absolutely. And that, I would say, is the kind of chief critique. Mm-hmm. That is the unifying critique of the whole show. Any review you read yeah. will almost always bring that up. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's quite interesting because, and Doctor talks quite a lot about this, um, his kind of view of the book is that is from the outside looking in, it's all written in a third-person perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the characters don't have names. Right. Um you are looking at it from a very objective mm-hmm. angle as opposed to being in amongst it. And right. that was one of his main issues with the film mm-hmm. was that he felt that it was too much about Cole House right. um, and his story. And because uh, I think it was well, like Jimmy Cagney uh, who played um, the police chief mm-hmm. because he was Jimmy Cagney, they had to give him a big moment mm-hmm. And so they had this big moment at the end when Cole House is about to blow up the library. Yeah. Um, where, whereas, like, that isn't, that's not really that's not the book, that's the not point the story. At all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's completely detracting. So I can, I, I can totally see why that wouldn't work. So you do need to take kind of the step back. Yeah. Which, um, which perhaps is why he enjoys the art form so much, because as we've talked before way back with like Sweeney Todd about how yeah. vaguely Brechtian the musical theater form just kind of is, how it yeah. gives you this separation and makes you observe these characters in some contexts that like, you know, almost the perfect genre for that kind of execution. Absolutely. Um, so I always kind of come back to these reviews who mm. are saying this about like, I just wasn't really connecting. Yeah. I'm like, maybe you're looking for a lame is. Right. You know, I mean, you're going into this epic musical that's really set up as an epic musical an- from that opening number. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Um, Here's a thousand the, people. The- good luck. <clears throat> that's the kind of thing that they almost do frame it as if to say like you're going to get to know every single one of these right. characters inside out except we don't like one of yeah, the crazy absolutely don't. we don't meet cole house till like a quarter <laughs> of the way through act one yeah exactly and if you, you know like maybe you know, an argument for the protagonist of the show um mm-hmm. It's almost like an um, drowsy when it's right. like, I'm tricks. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you when they die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so you're kind of, you're set up to feel mm-hmm. like 
um, oh, I'm going to get to know every single one of these right. fellas. Um, and then you don't. So I can I can kind of understand where the wind would be taken away from you. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I'd already I'd already listened to the cast recording to death. Mm-hmm. And I, I really knew it inside out. So I didn't have that perspective necessarily. I did come into it right, very objectively it. because yeah. I was like, this is how I want to see, you know what I mean? I, yeah. was, I was ready for it. Um, did you have a similar, I've, I've used, take it, you've seen it. I have seen it. My, and we might talk <coughs> about this in a second, but um, <laughs> I, because my very first experience with cast recordings was just taking them out from my local library and ripping yeah. them out to my MacBook Pro. Um, so unknowingly, the first recording, like the recording that is burned in my brain is songs from Ragtime, right. which is the actually the concept recording yeah, um, and quote unquote concept recording. It's the pretty much the Toronto recording. Um, but what is bizarre about this one is it's almost entirely the same cast and a yeah. lot of it's really, really similar, but a couple things are different. <laughs> Yeah, particularly um, the opening as well. Particularly the opening. Um, yeah. And so the first time I saw it, I had all these moments of like, oh, oh, this is strange. This is not, not, not ex- like, is this a what bizarre version of Ragtime that I've seen? <laughs> yeah. um, but it does then make me question, like, it, it is a fascinating comparison, you know, to listen to the concept album versus mm-hmm. what became the original cast recording. And mm-hmm. some of the minor changes, knowing that so much of this was writing by committee and focus group mm-hmm. response. And I was mm-hmm. like, what What was the, you know, additional comment box comment that made you change this moment to that moment? You know, why did you change That's the Showbiz into whatever the song became? Because I don't even know, because I know That's the Showbiz. Um, the, <laughs> the Harry Houdini and Evelyn Nesbitt song... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the end of Act Two. Um, well, it's now Atlantic City. Yes, which I know I don't know very well because I yeah. grew up on that's the showbiz, um, and like, but it, I, I, yeah, well, I, I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit because yeah. I, I've got opinions about that yes, specific. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, I I wonder if some of the like review reaction and some of the like newness of this musical, it's almost like this musical did something minorly revolutionary and people couldn't peg it for what was revolutionary about it and so they Uh just kind of got angry about it you know it wasn't really (laughs) it wasn't like julie taymor's puppets and like this ragtime lost best musical to lion king um exactly which was hugely revolutionary in some big big visible ways whereas like ragtime was kind of flipping the script on the musical standard because of uh convicted and felon uh garth drabinsky's method of method exactly you know getting lots and lots and lots of feedback yeah i do i find it an interesting one because obviously in my head a lot of the time particularly crook producers Mm -hmm. um their main thing is how can i make the most money yeah right but i can't see where that fits into that angle it it is interesting and for what it's worth you know ragtime premiered on broadway in 1998 Mm. um he was convicted in 2009 Mm. um true and the court documents were really obtuse and it was very hard to get into exactly what i think it had to do with his production company going bankrupt and something about that but some of the more contemporaneous documents about his um uh, production company which was called livent i think livent yeah livent livent or something um which was you know kind of 
was producing a bunch of things and like yep. home to a bunch of artists who were working on important things at the time. Um, like there were some, you know, he, he did Fosse. Like there's some real good art that came out of mm. his existence. And so mm. I, I, I wonder if he fell in the, the crook producer trap a little later, you know, if he, yeah. Max Biala stocked himself. Um, Potentially. Yeah, that's true. I, how dare I brand him? Because, <laughs> I mean, he did get convicted. Know. Don't get me wrong. He did. Yes, that's true. He was found guilty. So sorry, uh, <laughs> not my fault. Uh, but yeah, I think it, I would say the Lion King thing is a really tricky one because yeah. I think that is one of the reasons. And uh, I kind of want to come back to this at the end once we've discussed everything. But I think one of the reasons why ragtime isn't as big as it maybe should be mm-hmm. um because this was the kind of the, the start of disney right yes do you know what i mean the mouse had well and truly dug his toes into broadway with yes. julie Taymor. yes um and it, it was kind of like at that stage this interesting art theater thing would yeah. get a look in right although um, it is interesting to to note like i do as much as we bash disney for kind of like uh, Disneyfying, frankly, Broadway, uh-huh. um, and kind of like making, in a big way, even more so than Cats, like Broadway, a national and international appeal. There are yep. a couple, a couple part. There was some article I read, and I'll see if I can find it for the show notes, um, where they interviewed Garth, and he was talking about some of this, and he has some quote that says something like, "You know, it used to be you tried out out of town and kept it quiet and all these things, but now information moves asynchronously and people hear about these things all at the same time and you right. can build hype outside of the city before you bring it into the city um mm. which is also what disney does and also what broadway has become um and interesting to hear that that was and you know garth has nothing to do with disney so it is fascinating yeah. to me to hear a little bit that that was kind of in the air even before the mouse got his claws around it yeah that is interesting Maybe he's a very good producer. I'm, he might be. He just, you My know, goodness, Garth. He he got his foot caught in the door, and then what happened? <laughs> I'll wait for the memoirs. I'm excited to hear his. Uh, do you think he produced anything in prison? Prisoners of Love, Good Skies of well, Love. I think he. I don't know whether it came out, but I think he was producing something because he got like released or like like house or I don't know like something something. Yeah. Um, but he was still working out time uh-huh. um and then was producing something in that in that time huh. which i find quite interesting always so, abw always be working absolutely um oh but i've been trying to like hit a segue and i can't so don't worry we'll about... we'll ride there on mine do segways make noise that's a good question do segways make noise i imagine they do Speaking of segues, <laughs> here's one right now. Daddy played piano, played it very well. Music from those hands could catch you like a spell. He could make you love him, for the tune was done. You have your daddy's hand. So, 
And now we send it's it to now, college. <laughs> we send it to college, exactly. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's not like it's the most revived musical ever, ever, ever. No. Um, but certainly a lot of its outings yes. are very notable. Yes. I think, I, I think this ragtime has kind of a special outside Broadway recognition that a lot of other shows I don't feel that way. Like a lot of other Mm -hmm. shows are revived a lot on Broadway and have a bunch of exterior, you know, anti-Broadway productions. Ragtime Mm -hmm. is a a cool regional and non-American scene and existence that has been created around it. I think maybe because of that kind of art house, artsy feel it has that attracts, Mm. you know, not people who are just there to do all the glitz and glamour Broadway. I agree. Um, One of the things that I find quite interesting is ragtime in the States, Mm -hmm. ragtime in the UK. Mm -hmm. We talked about this a long time ago. I can't remember. We did. And I can't remember which one it is. (laughs) I think it might have been Scottsboro Boys. Was it that? The Regent's Park revival, right? The Regent's Park revival, which was obviously the, I mean, so we didn't get it for what, five years? Yeah. Um, after its thing and obviously it's an american tale right good golly you can't get more american yeah i mean i mean it might as well be called ragtime the american musical if a different musical hadn't taken that um, exactly like it is it's literally you know we've got hamilton yeah and then we've got ragtime and yeah. it, you know, it yeah. feels very much like that if we're putting it all in a yeah. here's some epic musicals that give you like that's that's kind of the way it goes yeah um so very, very Amerocentric. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that it wasn't a smash mm-hmm. over here because it, 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 it there's not you have to l- n- know more about Americana to kind of like it. It assumes some casual acquaintances with things that I learned in U.S. history class that I yes. imagine you know. That are are relegated to whatever would be world history in the UK, and so it has exactly. to stand alongside everything else. Because our like our American education is really certainly up to like the point where you have to, unless you want to study it, right? You know, yeah. like is really limited. It's, we I really don't talk about it's much as tangential as you know, say my British education, right? Right, exactly. It's, it's why I don't understand six, like. Yes, exactly. I don't. We're really teasing this. Oh yes, um, I I don't have the cultural compass, competency to get bits of that. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um. So that is why I can see it's not being a sash, and it really like in a similar way to um, Music Man. Mm-hmm. It's not the one that everyone knows. Right. The musical theater geeks know it. Yeah. Because obviously, how can you miss it? Right, but it is when you not... when you know, you know. Yeah, but it isn't the one that people would be like, 
oh, what's that American lame is? Right. You know? Yeah. They wouldn't ever make that comparison. Yeah. It, you know, there's no songs that would be in their vernacular. Exactly. But, at all. So I think we've buried the lead here. This 2012 Regent's Park Ragtime yes. is... I don't know if contemporized is the right word. Well, they attempted to. The 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 scenic design is like an American wasteland. It is very much like it's, but it's not dystopian. That's the thing. No, is it's it is just like a junkyard. Yeah, junk. Ah, uh-huh, big junk heap of uh, American things. There's like a, a vaguely a, political, a big broken Barack Obama bulletin or a, a billboard. Yeah, in I the mean, background. like Barack Obama's face is the thing that you see that like shines <laughs> over all of it, and uh-huh. you know. And maybe uh, hashtag we'll get into this later. Jim and Tomic's musical theater happy hour patented yeah. hashtag. Um, when we talked about this in whatever named unnamed podcast last time, uh-huh. I was a little put off by this theming. Mm-hmm. And now I get it more. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. You know, yeah. Um, I, certainly from the scenic perspective. Yes. Right, because um, yeah, back then things were still quite. <laughs> yeah, America <laughs> you know was I mean? still felt maybe maybe deceptively and incorrectly so, but still felt a little bit like you know yeah we're going to acknowledge the bad parts of our history from the turn of uh-huh. the century through this musical ragtime and then uh-huh. celebrate how far we've come exactly and how far it feels like we're going right you know what i mean it feels like progression yeah but listening man listening to this show today in my car and hearing <laughs> like a black man get angry about someone being shot by the police like you know Open yeah. CNN right now. Like, yeah. ripped yeah, yeah, from yeah. the headlines. Themes from Ragtime, a musical from 1996 set in the turn of the last century. Yeah. it's Immigrants not being made to feel welcome. I know, right? White people being assholey. Um, <laughs> right. Exactly. And yeah, women not being able to, yeah. you know, have it's, their say. It is yeah. uh, it's really <laughs> fucking depressing, Jimmy. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, it becomes more and more relevant. Yeah. As time goes on. Yeah. Uh, story set at the turn of the century. Yeah. Which is perhaps why it has had so m- such a, a varied revival experience. Exactly, exactly. So, again, the Regents, the only, the, the main beef I have with the Regents Park one mm-hmm. is the casting of Grandfather. Like, that was just stunty. What did it remind um, me? What did they do? They made Grandfather, they cast Grandfather as a black man. Mm, okay. I don't think that's appropriate, yeah. and it doesn't tell anything new to the story. It's purely shock value. Yeah, it would be. Do you know what I mean? It would it be doesn't like make any bloody sense. It would be like casting Ling Larkin as a black man. Um, yeah, exactly. It's just it. It just doesn't. It, it doesn't work. It you gets. Know? It gets in the way of your story. Absolutely, and. That, I think, then jaded my perspective of everything else. I'm like, you're not telling an authentic... You're not out here to tell an authentic story. You're out here to look really flashy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, make something really impressive. Yeah. Um, and the reviews reflected that. The reviews weren't good. Mm, okay. uh, but they weren't good. They were like, the scene, the setting was incredible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The staging was out of this world. Yeah. The show was yeah. poor. Yeah. It is, and I'm like, the show isn't poor. <laughs> it, is, I know. it is a shame to me that the well, it's been ten years, two thousand nine. Yeah, um, 
you know, like the the more I sit on the show, the more I'm like, you know, you know what we could do really well with right now? Like uh, once Oklahoma leaves Circle in the Square, like let's throw ragtime in there and see what happens. Yeah, completely. Well, so this is the, another production to bring up um, is the Ellis Island one. Oh, yes. Fascinating. So fascinating. So here... The, basically, it wasn't the full production, it was a concert. I think it was like 12 or so songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more like a discussion of the themes of ragtime. Yeah. Um, that they set site-specific, mm-hmm. you know, in a concert staging um, on Ellis Island. Yeah. Now, Ellis Island, my American history isn't great, so please feel free to correct me. <laughs> of course. But Ellis Island was the kind of gateway yeah. to America. I mean, they, they never explicitly say it, but in, in theory, when... Um, uh, Tata, 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 yeah, Tata. Uh, Tata landed on, like, came to America. He would have had to go through Ellis Island, and yeah, you know, he is coaching. The questions he coaches his daughter are the questions he would be asked in immigration. Um, right, like, it, it is the gate. It was the gateway to America for immigrants. Like the ship Absolutely. stopped there, and sometimes you were sent home. Um, you just about turn. Mm-hmm. Like, Sorry, no, back. thank you. Wow. You're you're sick. You're not for us. And so it was right. a big, big deal. Especially people had often saved up their, you know, packed their life into a suitcase, spent all their yeah. life savings to get on a boat to travel to this, you know, quote unquote land of the American dream. Yeah, it's a big deal. And so, and you know, they put the stat like the Statue of Liberty is uh, on Ellis Island. Let me double. No, it's Liberty Island. Okay, um, but they're right next to each other. Yeah, you um, can see so you can see the Statue of Liberty from Ellis Island, like you know, what I mean, you're, right. and you're looking at it. So, but yeah, just a lot of the people, um, audience members and and cast members alike, were just sort of saying how powerful it was to, yeah. you know, you're there, you're you're on yeah. the Rialto. Yeah, um, no, it is it is quite it is a great choice uh, and a, a fan, fantastic artistic endeavor to yeah. put this show on Ellis Island. But so quite, and I think from there they were they had plans to develop it mm-hmm. and make it something a bit more site specific and make it I think make it a bit more that like lives know, there like, arty. Yeah, no, um, th- I think that they were going to oh, aim okay. to bring to Broadway, uh-huh. um, but that hasn't happened. Yeah, and I think it was set for twenty seventeen, and mm. you know I've not heard anything about right. it, so I I don't think it's coming. Yeah, um, which is a shame. It is a shame, um, but. I don't know if Broadway is the right place for a ragtime. I know, I know. Well, and this is, you know, we talked about it a bit in the Tonys about like this, you know, kind of New York echo chamber. Um, and like, it's hard because most of the show takes place in New York, right? Uh-huh, they, absolutely. They don't really say it that much, but this show takes place in and around New York City. Um, yep. And then Atlantic City later. Um mm-hmm. And uh, it's the generic place for a lot of Broadway musicals, but this one's specific because it is, you know, New York is the symbol of America. It has, uh-huh. it is where people entered the country in the turn of the last century. Um, but a lot of the, of course, a lot of the theme, like this is, this is, I think, one of the difficulties with America. Um, and if I were more well versed in. Uh, uh, history and anthropology, I would be able to articulate it better, but I'm going to try mm. my best. Um, and it and it is, I think, a difficult thing to, uh, and I don't know, you tell me, but is a, a difference between a lot of European countries and America. America is so big 
And a lot of America's bigness has translated into a lot of American culture and a lot of American politics. Mm -hmm. And because during the time we arrived in America, and by we, you know, I am discounting lots of history here, certainly. Right. Right. Um, but you know, by the when America was founded, it was difficult to get from one end to the other. In fact, we have lots of lore about how Lewis and Clark did that for us, yeah. right? Um, and so there is this slow development and transfer of ideas that has happened across America. That kind of it's like this ripple effect, and mm. so the the themes that ragtime discusses about you know uh uh the the downtrodden immigrant and the you know racism present in the white aristocracy and like the injustice experienced by black people in America mm-hmm. happened in New York around the turn of the last century yeah. and it's taken more than 100 years for those themes and ideas to slowly be appreciated by the rest of the country yeah and that is I think one of the biggest, you know, it, it it acknowledges the differences, and it's inexcusable now because we all communicate with each other. But it is an explanation mm-hmm. for it, um, and why this show, as a New York show, I think you're right, is l- it's not where it needs to be. No, it, I mean that's it. It's like yes, we're communicating with each other, but it's just as easy to turn away. Do you know what I right. mean? It's just as easy to live in your bubble. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, we talked about this in Fun Home. Like, mm. the secret of a musical theater is you're going to be able to take your racist aunt to it um, and, like, trick her. Um, exactly. And, and, and get her to appreciate another person's pers- perspective through song and dance. Maybe not yes. explicitly, maybe not outwardly, but you're going to chip away at that facade. Um, yeah, completely. And completely. New York mm, doesn't really need that right now. It, it really doesn't because, you know, a lot of the main issues – in ragtime we're talking racism we're talking immigration issues and mm-hmm. we're talking uh sort of feminist issues i guess yeah. um new york isn't the the place in america that is right. suffering from that and, the most in fact it's probably one of the better states probably one of the betters certainly not to discredit i'm sure there are plenty of problems in new york just like there are plenty uh, of problems across america but yeah. you know take ragtime on tour it's why exactly. we're so excited about oklahoma going on tour <laughs> Completely, completely. Um, I so the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. uh, well, the first time I actually saw it was like a um, amateur company, and it was great. It was really, really good. But uh, I don't count that as the first time. So, of course, first professional production I saw um, was uh, in a tiny, tiny theater above a pub in London. Mm, fascinating, right? We're talking off, off West End yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. here. If we have that, we don't really. Um, you know, this is, it was kind of like as small as it could get for mm-hmm. ragtime, yeah. you know? Uh, I think there was like a three-piece band, maybe wow. four-piece band. Yeah. Um, and it was out of this world, and yeah. I will never see a better production. I just don't think. Yeah. Like, one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. To well, this day. Yeah. It, it is a thing... I think, and you know, we're jumping all over the place because I think it's hard to talk about this show. And we talked about this before we started recording. <laughs> it's hard to talk about this show in little pockets as we yes, try to do sometimes. Exactly. But I think it's one of the things why perhaps the original production was just kind of mediocrely reviewed is because mm-hmm. they also had this idea and this incentive to make it what was at the time a big, expensive, lavish Broadway production. Yes. And 
the story in Ragtime is so person-centered, is so individual that like, and there's a whole car on stage and here comes the ensemble of a thousand people just isn't quite right. Yeah, you do. Like, I think when that disconnects, and I, I know it's really strange and... You know, when I was reading about Doctorow being like, yes, that's good. The disconnect should be there. You should be looking at it objectively. Yeah. Um, when you're, when you're, you know, literally two feet away mm-hmm. from the actor yeah. who is playing Sarah Brown, mm-hmm. crying about the situation that she's found herself in. Oh, yeah. Um, like, you, you can't help but you can't feel help that. But feel that. I do think that, like, the. There is a middle ground between those two things is that Mm. this is a show where you empathize with the characters but don't sympathize with them. Did I do that right? Um, Yes. Like you you understand. You understand and you and you you understand what they're going through and you feel absolutely terrible for them. But you don't ever experience the show as them. Yes, maybe. Exactly. Or I wouldn't say don't ever, but less so. No, I don't think I don't think you necessarily do because you're not really given that chance. You're not yeah. really given the chance to sit with anyone, right? For they're, that long period gone and of we're time, gonna, you know. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we got a flash somewhere else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that is that is a disarming thing. Yes, you know. Whereas you know, in comparison with something like Les Mis, mm-hmm. you're there with Valjean, right? You know what yes. I mean for yeah. the long haul. Oh yeah, he's he's always there. You're you're crying during empty chairs and empty tables and like visualizing all the dead people there and feeling all of the yes, I miss them too, right? Yes. Not yes. feeling bad for him. Not Valjean exactly. moment, but yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, with fact and like I would say that as well. Like it wasn't like I was like, oh my god, I am mother or I am younger brother and I totally oh my god, that's I see myself in that. It you just feel it because the emotion yeah. of everything that they're talking about is so raw. You know, the the friends that I was with, mm-hmm. I think, would completely agree with me at this point. Um, our standout moment of the whole show was until we reached that day, mm-hmm. and the just the female soloist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I've never I've never seen a performance so raw, yeah. and so real and authentic, yeah. Um, as this woman, she was. Honestly, Tommy, she was just sensational. And the the, the four of us that were there mm-hmm. were just beside ourselves. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think I'd ever actually had a feeling like that um, that was certainly real. Like, you know, the first time I saw Wicked, I was a wreck. But that was right. just because it was like, oh, my God. So impressive. Yeah. Whereas like, this was like, holy shit, I'm watching you yeah. go through something oh, right yeah. now. And I can, I can see that. Yeah. And she was singing with every single fa- like it, it wasn't even vocally nice right necessarily it doesn't it was just be. real and yeah. raw no and that was because she was right there she was yeah. screaming it in her face and i was like bloody hell yeah i would never have thought yeah. that that was how ragtime should be done yeah well that's that's the thing and that's you know maybe that is the revolutionary thing that the show is doing right like yeah you compare it till we reach that day to like stand out act two closers like defying yeah. gravity or act one closers pardon me like defying yes. gravity like the wells fargo wagon like how do you close act one of your musical with a big lavish ensemble number that is impressive mm-hmm. right yeah till we reach that day has the whole ensemble sure but you want to know how to make till we reach that day really powerful have them all just stand there Right. Yeah. Have everyone just stand there and sing the song and you will leave your audience in tears. 
yeah. because of the build up to it. On their feet and tears, yeah. like absolutely and and still the appropriate things that an act one closer should do right what happens next i need to come back after intermission to learn what happens next absolutely absolutely um it it just it was stonking and i think that's how ragtime yeah that's how it would work um because i've never read reviews Mm -hmm. of uh productions that have been on that small scale Mm -hmm. And I just think it would make more sense because you're not being distracted. It is that kind of political theatre vibe. You know, yeah. you're not being distracted by, like you say, the lavish cars. There's fireworks, you know. Right. We're not worried about that. No. Their set pieces were literally like, they did like little toy models. Mm-hmm. So they had like a model car yeah. that um, Edgar would like play with and, yeah. then, and then Billy Cotton just stood smashed. on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Th- that was it. Yeah. The most grand thing that they had was this fun reveal like behind some scrim mm-hmm. there was some uh festoon light lights mm-hmm. that was as like literally as wild as it got and that was just used for atlantic city yeah and that's th- and I'm, it was absolutely fine <laughs> it was great an interesting thing like it makes you i wonder about all sorts of things my mind races like mm. is this a contemporary feeling we're feeling that is certainly in the zeitgeist of like stripping down paring down productions you mm-hmm. look at sweeney todd you look at oklahoma you look at you know it is a trend you look at the new Marilu Rolong that's on broadway or the one that was in the west went west end for a little while yeah. like the paring down of musical theater is a trend right now are we feeling yeah. that or was this show written to be that or can you do that with any show Right? Are mm. we ever going to get a pared down Les Mis, say? Um, yeah. And I'd, I'd be so fascinated to see it. Yeah. Because but I a don't, lot of the time it, uh-huh. it works. You but know? I, I mean, there's know... been very few where it's like, I'm missing the. Yeah. I mean, certainly people have said that. Like, people said that about Company, let's say. Um, yeah. The Relu Sparza one. Um, yes, true. Like, there, there are a couple where people are like, mm, I don't know if that was the right choice. And uh-huh. so I think there is, it does say something about. I said the, that about Sweeney Todd, admittedly. Yeah, yeah that's true. Like it says yeah. something about the core of a show like Ragtime that mm. it succeeds when you get rid of the rest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we've talked about um, these artistic trends existing in pendulums. And I think we're on like a cat's backswing now. Like mm. we're coming down from the extravagance of defying gravity and even things like spam a lot and you're in town and, you know, also Les Mis where mm. now it's like, no, no, no. How, how, how much, how less do we need? Like how yeah. small can we make this? Yeah. Um, but that's cool too. Cause it focuses on the thing we love, the story and exactly. the art and the expression. Um, and this is definitely one. Yeah. So, you know, um, if you're listening out there, Broadway producers who aren't felons, do it. <laughs> please do it. Well, that's the thing. Like, if it did end up going into Circle in the Square, I would want it to be like that. I would yep. want it to, to be as scaled down as it possibly could. I, I don't necessarily want lavish yeah I don't, well, I, I don't want it at all it doesn't feel like it needs it in the same way that like we're never going to see a scaled down version of wicked right we're never going to see a version mm. of wicked where she doesn't fly at, at the end of act one yeah um, it, really. in fact like when the thing breaks and she doesn't fly at the act one it's always a minor story on like playbill.com like yeah tonight's broadway show the lift didn't work and she just ran out on stage oh we interviewed this course member yeah we just ran with it it's the fifth time it's happened this month like yeah you yeah. know and like ooh, what a bizarre thing it doesn't work for that show because that show needs 
some of that. Ragtime, yeah. they thought they needed it, and I think we've spent a couple decades getting rid of it all. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I was really surprised at was how much I didn't miss the orchestration. Mm, fascinating. Right? Yeah. Um, the, you know, we're talking four-piece band, you can't really make a right. big sound with that. Yeah. But the singing was more than enough. Just and enough I find that yeah. uh, very interesting that I wasn't like yeah. pining for it. I guess maybe just because I knew it so much. Yeah. Because well, I'd listened to that cast album over and over and over again. And that does lead us into our next thing, which are the multiple versions that exist in different forms of the show. Yeah. Speaking of cast albums. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Where have I been? How did we change? Caught in this strange new music said Was I away too long? Just like that tune, simple and clear I've come to talked about this being kind of a mildly contemporary thing about like the you know uh concept recording of hadestown and now the original broadway cast that's coming out and we're seeing this more and more be more chill the off the toronto production basically or vancouver canadian we'll just say that in head drive um production and then now the broadway production um and differences between these and ragtime as well as i mentioned earlier had a concept album which was the toronto cast and then Mm -hmm. the original broadway cast recording which happened about two years later ragtime also has like if you license uh through amateur like you're doing an amateur license in america through mti there is a version one and a version two and you can license either one um yeah and the biggest difference between them are the orchestrations but there are also some minor script differences um the basics are version one was the original broadway production and then version two was pared down and became what i think at the time they called the national touring cast um right that does ring a bell and they you know trimmed a couple things up cut a couple things up the, you know not huge differences if you saw one and then saw another six years later they'd be the exact same show um yeah. 
But it is interesting through the life of this show to see the minor changes between the two cast albums with the same basic cast, the minor versions between the two versions, version one and version two, with the same authors and the same approval. Um, And like then to question like, okay, why – you know, so many times there's a great quote in one of the hat books that I stumbled across recently because it's in the mm-hmm. like other shows bit at the end that I never read, mm-hmm. um, where Sondheim quotes some French poet whose name I won't remember right now. Um, but he says something. We're all like, about the details. Exactly. Here, guys. Right. God is in the details. God is in the what? He says. God is in the something. Who knows? <laughs> He's in um, some of their other, um, Sondheim's at it. But uh, <laughs> Sondheim said it, I promise. Um, yeah. no, this French poet said, um, a poem is never complete. It is only abandoned. Um, which is a thing i often say when i'm designing a set as we're painting it two hours before it opens and i say a set is never finished it's only done um (laughs) and like it was nice to hear that sentiment come from another artist um but it is interesting to hear that at least with ragtime and even through the ellis island production they're still tweaking this thing and not in big ways but in small ways yeah. It's not like they're cutting and adding songs. It's not like they're rearranging scenes. They're just tweaking a line here and there. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it is interesting to see that kind of artistic fortitude in a piece of musical theater. So many pieces, you know, like company didn't get, the company has been revised maybe two or three major times, but yeah. they're usually huge, big revisions that are very noticeable. Exactly. Like, no one, no one makes Twitter jokes about the different versions of ragtime. I mean, maybe I will now, but. Right. But yeah, not com- completely. You're, you're, but it's it's still significant because you know it's the like pebble in the river, yeah, yeah. kind of idea. You're still changing the flow, yeah, um, of how it goes and the decisions that you make. Yeah, um, it, I'm obs- I'm honestly obsessed with it, and I wish uh, we, we kind of spoke about it a wee bit in the Tony's podcast there with Hades Time. But like, I really wish. Mm-hmm. Um, creators yeah. would put out these sketches oh. there's to me there's kind of no harm in it yeah no it's there my might favorite be harm i but I, I will always harken back but my favorite <sighs> favorite pages in finishing the hat um and look i made a um mm. are the scans of sondheim's handwritten lyrics for particular things where you see crossed out words and you know bonus choices for rhymes along the side and then you get to like unpack that and be like why did you choose this one and not that one or what made you change this word or add you know add a the or an an in here or like change this into a two-syllable word um and like that sort of minor like that's where the art lives right those those tweaks are what make the art and being able to make that visible in the right contexts you know, I mean, that's what we do here. Like, that's that's what we love so much. Yeah. And I just feel like as well, there's not really any other art form yeah. where you can kind of enjoy that as much, I feel. Like, yeah. you know, with a play, I guess, you know, maybe if there was some, like, a really interesting monologue that maybe got reframed or restructured, mm-hmm. yeah. that could be something. There are a couple, because because I've been a theatre teacher for so long, um, right? the, the, like, dramatist play versions of Tennessee Williams' plays and the published, like, book versions that you buy in a bookstore of Tennessee Williams' okay. plays are vastly different um, right? and are fun to explore, primarily mm. in um, the stage directions. Um 
uh like in um oh what is it called in the glass menagerie um uh-huh. they're in the published version which i'm sure tennessee williams had a lot to do with when it originally got published there's some stage direction that says like it's as if the candles on the holy altar of laura's face had been snuffed out um hey, that's my, that's and my kind of stage direction <laughs> right and it's totally gone in the published acting version yeah because that was edited by a stage manager who was like no we don't need this. shut up cross yeah. the stage left cut it out um so i think you see it sometimes but you're right like you don't see it in books right you know maybe you get like an update from the author you know and i love this when like i'm rereading textbooks and it's like yeah updates in the 21st edition <gasps> yes please tell me what changed what kind of weird geeks are we I <laughs> but i totally agree with you like i'm fascinated by it like why yeah oh, why this is interesting what like fascinating you know, choice yeah it, it, it's and even when it gets like bigger scale because the one that i always kind of go back to is mm. um and into the woods mm in the cast recording there where they have like the uh, extras mm-hmm. you know yeah. we talked about this in into this podcast but like uh like boom crunch mm-hmm. and hearing some of the lines there like there's absolute gold in there yeah and i can totally imagine sondy sitting there being like oh if only i could keep that line right but it just doesn't work yeah it doesn't mean it's bad it doesn't, it doesn't mean, mean it bad. doesn't fit in your story yeah. it still fits it's just cutting room floor stuff yeah exactly like and you know? it, and it is one of the few like that i think the thing that's the gold to it too is that it doesn't mean it's bad right yeah like you look at deleted scenes or I, w- I fell into a 2001 a space odyssey uh internet hole right um, brilliant and started reading about some of the scenes that like stanley kubrick burnt the negatives for uh um, wow so like no one will ever see them but like descriptions of what they were that are on the cutting room floor um, uh-huh. and like that was they were bad things like they were things that he decided were okay. not appropriate for it and the film as a whole is better for it and couldn't be improved because of it but Perfect. like if we wanted to go back into ragtime and like talk about it for today there might be things we could find in that's the showbiz or elsewhere that might be appropriate now and it doesn't exactly. diminish the previous existence of the art yeah not at all not at all. And that's, I feel like there, there's probably an example out there of that this exact thing that we're talking about yeah. that has been changed and brought into the fore. And like, no, we're bringing this song back. Right. We're, um, you know, did it happen in Company? No. I don't know. I mean, it's happened a couple times, not in the recent revivals of Company, but like... Um, that's what I was trying to think if it, it happened in the, uh, the recent one, uh, but, but it didn't. No, but But like, Marry Me a Little Marry Me a Little that, has come back. You know, and even yeah. more minor things, which are totally Star Vehicle stuff, but like bringing back uh, Penny in My Pocket in Hello, Dolly. Yes. So David Hyde Pierce has a song. Um, like, doesn't doesn't damage the show you might not have opinions on whether or not it's appropriate um but for what they wanted to do give david Hyde pierce a song to find yeah. a cut song from this show to put back in done check mark right absolutely what more could you ask for um you know you like uh 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 lynn limo miranda's on twitter a lot talking about some of the changes they're doing for the in heights movie um yes and some things they're making and like you know he says even things like they cut out uh trump's name from the published version a while ago um Uh but of course the movie doesn't contain that and some other like tweaks here and there and how wonderful it is that we get to update our art this way Um, yeah it's delightful and try things and try things that don't even work like the whole um 
Oh, what was it called? Chasing Rainbows, Nothing Rainbows, the Meryl Streep song that was cut from the Into the Woods movie. Um, oh, yes. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember yes, either. But like to experiment with this song might work and then still take it out. Like it's cool to watch this. It's what's cool yeah. about these recordings in ragtime and these different versions in ragtime. And especially Absolutely. cool about the different published versions from MTI that the artists have said, hey – one of these is right for your company. We don't know yeah. which one, but you do. So feel yeah. free to pick. Yeah, completely. I just think if you're a young creator, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's just so nice to know that revisions are absolutely important, absolutely vital. Yeah. You shouldn't aim for this perfect thing. Right. And I think certainly me personally, I get stuck in that. I'm a complete perfectionist. Right. And I aim for the finished product in my first draft. Right, from sentence one. I'm never going to get there. No. I'm never going to get And you need to be taught that. You need yeah. to be taught that you will be fixing this forever. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, I, you know, I want to get it printed out on a nice little I thing. I love that. I might do that. A poem, gonna... is, a poem is never done. It's only abandoned. We'll look up the French poet and yeah. put it in the show notes so you can look them up. Our merch begins now. We're just stealing <laughs> other people's phrases. Hooray. We stole them from someone else. It's stealing exactly. all the way down. Yay. We're the crooks. At <laughs> <laughs> we were gentlemen. Men were gentlemen. So just sister. We called each other mister. And oil your son. Don't listen. Our games were very quiet. We'd never riot. We'd beat that baseball. The worst we ever said would be run. Yes, smart. Don't listen. Now here's this noisy rabble, this foreign babble. Who let this happen? There's hardly one American name. Yeah, heads on. It's Jimmy, you've written here comedy and musicals, and I don't understand. I have, I have. I know I like to be broad and give you a surprise. Um, No, so whilst researching this and and kind of bowing into it, it flashed up something to me that I'd never really considered. And mm-hmm. I found out a lot with Ragtime. Yeah. That I I had had all my views and I was like, this is one of the best musicals ever. Yeah. I still consider that. Yeah. Um, and then hearing other people be like, man, it's all right. It's really not very good. The characters are... Mm-hmm. I was like, hang on, what are you watching? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the ones that they do bring up that I kind of agree with, um, but I'm interested to discuss, yeah. is this idea of comedy in musical theatre, mm-hmm. in the musical comedy, right. shall we say. Yes. Um, because Ragtime is not a musical comedy. <clears throat> by there ain't any no means. funnies. No. Yeah. There ain't no funnies. You know, so yes, the baseball game is there. Yes. Well, so here's the thing. I would say the baseball game and Buffalo Nickel Photoplay Inc., the two, maybe the two charm songs. Okay, so those, let me look. Henry Ford, um, maybe. That's about it, right? That's about all we have is like charm songs. Um, maybe yes, Atlantic char- City. The right? thing about charm songs, all, all I would say is, is they're upbeat. Right. No, but here's they're the thing. They're up-tempo. <laughs> you could also cut all of those songs and have the same show. Uh, Plot-wise. Yeah. You could cut the baseball I debate, game. I debate Buffalo Nickel, but yes, you For could sure. easily okay. slice let's, out. Let's limit it game. to baseball game. You could yes. cut baseball game and plot wise and progression wise have the same show, but Absolutely. people would, would like want to jump off a building after the end of the show without them. But so this is the thing, though. 
I because I don't think the baseball game is a funny song. You know what I mean? I, yeah. It's not like rip roaring laughs, like the up your alley bit at the end, Edgar. That's it's funny. That's, that's funny. That's that's one joke. That's yeah. a gag. Um, but the rest of it before you know this kind of father looking kind of melancholically oh, yeah. at the state of the world is us yeah. talking about the audience and be more fucking chill oh yeah like- no, and it's also like uh, uh 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 what a game is also like it's a headphone song like it is not a windows down car radio song let me right. tell you exactly it drops exactly. every word you can't say on television plus like 12 more which you don't expect in ragtime Yes, sir. Um, it, it, which is quite funny because we, so with the choir that I run, mm-hmm. um, uh, which again, we'll, we'll talk a wee bit about this in a second as well, um, in terms of performing these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the songs we can perform, technically, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, What a Game. Uh, but we can't really perform can't it really because... Perform it. <laughs> Unless you do, have you ever seen the uh, Tony Awards telecast of... The Aggies song from the best little whorehouse in Texas. No, I haven't. Uh, it's worth looking up because the Aggie okay. song. It's it's sung by all of the uh, the are they football players? Whatever sports yes. um, in the locker room <laughs> before they go to the whorehouse. Um, and it's like we're gonna walk and talk, and I don't know. Then we'll mix it up tonight. It's a bunch of innuendo. Yeah, yeah. But on the telecast. They had to cut all the innuendo, and so it's just replaced by timpani and xylophone. Whenever they say a bad word, the, t- the, xylophone, go- the xylophone goes brink, or the timpani goes boing. I love that. Just over and over, and the song doesn't make any sense anymore. No, no. So you could do that with what a game. <laughs> exactly. Because the thing is, it's like I think it does serve a purpose yeah. in the overall show. You yes. know, it's talking about this beginning of things changing and you know father it it kind of highlights his excuse me his kind of internal racism right um and his his discovery nobody white anymore well and some of his confrontation of it too of Mm. like this yeah it's baseball it's a civilized sport this is a nice place to take my child and like no everyone's racist here too you were trying to escape the racist environment you were living in a second ago and you know so you know we used to play this at harvard not anymore exactly um but you know, it is it Master of the House? No. No. Right? And so this is this is my thing, is yeah. a lot of the things that be like, there's just no humor in it. Yeah. Well And I'm like I I Well I I mean like the if we're painting broad strokes here, okay. There's yes. not. There's not. Right? Yeah. There's there's a couple tiny jokes in the book here and there. Um you know, uh, like they they use they use uh, uh, younger brother or little boy Edgar Edgar, Edgar um, yeah for to comedy effect a lot. Yes, precocious Edgar is yes. funny. Yes, um, and Tata has some moments, but they're not. It's not like slap your knee. Right, this is a gag. Yeah, there's <laughs> no rip roaring setup punchline. Is that like? The laugh through your nose. Right. That yeah. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. The titter. Yeah. Um, and it did get me thinking, um, because obviously people are like, well, so this is bad. And I'm like, do we need, like, is I that think a thing? Like, I... is this a thing? Do we need these comic moments? Do we need these funnies? Um, because, you know, obviously this is something that harkens right back to the beginnings of theatre. For sure. Well, maybe not the beginnings, but 
maybe the beginnings of westernized theater yeah um with shakespeare you know he would always have his comedic moment oh yeah the drunken porter to... comes out right after lady Macker's exactly. and max right you gotta laugh after the drama the rude mechanical like you know what i mean like that's yeah. the the fun is put in there so you're not crying yeah because lady Macbeth is having a horrible time yeah um i totally see the importance of that yeah I just feel like nowadays, yeah. we're kind of over that. Well, it was my initial thought, and I went to go look it up to decide if I was right or not. And I've decided I'm <laughs> wrong. Um, my initial thought was like, well, maybe in 1998, uh-huh. there being a lack of comedy wasn't bad, but was new. But 1997, Tony Awards for Best Musical Nominations, Titanic, Steel Pier, yeah. The Life, 96, Rent, 95, Sunset Boulevard, 94, Passion, 93, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Like, they haven't been rip-roaring comedies for at least six years. Yeah, exactly. Actually, Passion's a really interesting one because Passion's another one where I don't think there's the fun. There's no There's There's no no funnies. funnies. No? There's no funnies. Everyone, the other ones you mentioned, I would say, has something. Even Titanic has something in there. Yeah, Um, has lighter moments. Even Rent has some happier moments. Um, yes, you know, and La Vibouem is fun, <coughs> if not necessarily funny. Funny, yeah. Um, I just feel like is this something that contemporary musical theatre writers? Because I still think it's an issue. I still yeah. think there's a thing here. Yeah. Um, where they're like, oh, we need to include a funny. I think that's a thing, though. I think it's why I think your Master of the House comparison is apt because I yeah. I think it's why the Tenardiers are in that. Not because 100%. they're necessarily important to the plot, but because if it's just a night of drama, you're like you you need a break from that otherwise you grow numb to it like roller coasters mm. need slow moments yeah. so that you appreciate the fast moments more yeah that's true you probably would go numb i never well, thought of it from that perspective i guess like i would love to see because i again and uh, when we inevitably do Lee is have we done Lee Miz? <laughs> that's a great question who knows do we do a podcast <laughs> even do we? I don't know if we've done the moods. I don't think we've done the moods. When we inevitably do the moods, um, we'll obviously talk about this a lot more. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, so the first the first part I ever had was Monsieur Thenardier. Mm-hmm. Um, and my God, did I sink my teeth into it? I practically read the whole of Lemes, uh-huh. you know, uh, to try and get to the root of this character. Right. Um, and then I got into trouble for my drama teacher because I was trying to play him like he was in the book. Mm. Um, and she was like, "That isn't the character." And I was like. But he, but it's not. Right. You know, the character's completely different. And I think that's a shame because Tenardier is actually a fascinating character. He's a horrible, horrible person. Right. Um, but he needs to yet, be the B-plot, second banana comic relief in Lame is the Musical. He's been the scapegoat. Yeah, exactly. He's the one that's been drawn out. Um, and I think that's a shame. I kind of get, I, I get this numbness thing. Yeah. yeah. But also, I don't know. I do think I want to try. I want to try. I do try. think it is unique <laughs> to musical theater. Well, maybe perhaps more unique to mu- musical theater as in a as in a performative art form. Um, yes, I think you see less of that in like television and movies and plays. That certainly exists. Like even uh-huh. you know, Streetcar Named Desire has jokes in it. Um, hmm. They're few and far between, but they happen. Um, and they're often dark. That's and they're the thing. often they're, dark. They're often... But but they're there so. Like to make the darker seem darker, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, you can find dramas on television where there are no jokes. Like, you can sit through an entire episode of Law & Order SVU and not, not have a single funny thing happen. Yeah. Right? And yeah. some of these, like, drama dramas. Um, and it does seem a little more unique to musical theater. And I do wonder why. That is an interesting – like, is it because we are, you know, a, 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 the bastard child of vaudeville? Um, mm. And so we're just born out of that existence of comedy? It's the musical comedy. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. That's or the outcome that we've been given. But I, I, I would contend that if were that true, we'd see more out-and-out dramas – out-and-out, like, musical dramas – Nowadays, like there are jokes in Spring Awakening, like yeah, and there's nothing funny about the broad stroke subject matter of Spring Awakening, um, not at all. Yeah. Um, I do, I just find it yeah, I I find it really interesting. I'd like to I'd like to go because even Ragtime's almost quite a good example of this because it, the funnies aren't there. Yes, you do have these lighthearted moments, absolutely. But if you took out what a game. Would yeah. I get to the end and be like, Meh. no, of no. course I wouldn't. Yeah. Of course, because there's light and shade in other ways. There's romance yeah. and there's sure. emotion. There's yeah. happy emotion yeah. and sad emotion. It's not necessarily knee slapping Monsieur Thenardier style right. comedy. Yeah, no and I think that's that. this is where I take the umbrage because yeah. I think a lot of contemporary writers think that that is what you need. Right. You like need we got, we got to put a joke character. in here. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you do. Yeah. I don't know if you do. That isn't. But in- I'm interested to hear what other people think. I'm yeah, and I'm interested to put that in my like my the basket of lenses, right? To yeah. Also, hold on. Let me get my uh, musical theater mash uh, ideas. Yeah, exactly. let, uh, let me jot this down. We should do those. Um, you know how uh, do you watch like much like video game YouTube? Uh, yes, more than I should. Right, yeah, that's fair, same. Um, but, like, you know, they always do those collabs where it's like, we've got special guests from, <laughs> da, 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 and then yeah. there's, like, awful dub. Yes. That gets, like, pasted over bad <laughs> graphics of every second word that they say. Um, my favorite thing. Uh, we should do that. We should, absolutely. We should look look for that on, I don't know, the internet. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just something to think about, right? I'm going to plop that there. Plop. S- speaking of something to think about and plopping... Yeah. Should we do ragtime today? Let's do ragtime today. How they play, finding treasure in the sand. They're forever hand in hand. Our children, how they laugh. She has never laughed like this. Every waking moment, bliss. Our children See them running down the beach Children run so fast Toward the future From the past How they dance Unembarrassed and alone Hearing music of their own Our children One so fair Solemn joy and sudden spark Our children See them running down the beach Children run so fast Toward the future From the past There they stand Making footprints in the sand And forever hand in hand Children, children. 
Take a, a scientist to work out this might be a relevant musical to put on nowadays. Yep. Oh gosh, right? yeah, it's uh, so uh, much so that it, it is harder for me to listen to now than it was in high school. Like, yeah. I've I've listened, like I legitimately have problems just listening to till we reach that day. Yeah, completely. Um, we so preface. Uh, my mind just completely changed about this. Mm-hmm. So we, my choir, mm-hmm. performed till we reached that day mm-hmm. uh, at our first concert. Mm-hmm. Um, now we all white because uh, you're in Scotland, exactly. Um, and at the time, I felt a little bit uncomfortable about it, yeah. spe- specifically the fact that I sang Cole House's part, um, and I was like, I it just didn't sit right with me. And since then I know I'm now at the position where I'm like, I just don't think it's appropriate and I don't think it should be done. Um, And for, for what it's worth, having worked in a couple, not entirely white, but pretty white schools, I have seen this till we reached that day performed at several choir concerts of dominantly white kids. Yeah. Um, Now what I will say, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a choir of very hashtag woke people, mm-hmm. you know. We were all on the same page and we talked whew, a lot about what right. it means. You're having the conversation and, around it, yeah. Yeah, completely, you know, with it. And the message that we wanted to deliver with it yeah. was very much the message that we want, you know, right. that was the message that it should yeah. be delivered with. Um, not necessarily the most authentic, uh, but, you know, but, the, the feeling was there. Right. Um, and I must say that singing that song... It, again was kind of i've not had an experience like that before because it was really mm-hmm. it, the same from when i saw it in that production yeah you're singing from a deep deep place yeah. of anger oh yeah <laughs> you know a, a hugely deep and like with tons of oh god i don't even know the right word like so much connotation attached to it it's like there is so much anger in the world that is uh, brute and brunt and like yeah. just one giant thing but like the anger that exists until we reach that day which I wouldn't even fully qualify as anger but no cert- like because it is so nuanced and difficult to describe absolutely um, is you know at this point is hundreds of years of nuanced anger and rage yeah. embodied in a song that is hopeful in its like core message exactly wow (laughs) like it is difficult to describe it is it's a song it is supposed to be a song about hope it's a song about uh you know it's the the first words are a day of peace yeah a day of hope yeah um that this is the that's the thing that we want we'll never get to heaven till we reach that day of peace that day of hope um it is a very much an it's an inspiring thing but I think what has happened with it is it's just been shaped right. and shaped and shaped into this kind of new beast where it is, it is angry. It feels like a protest song almost. I mean, it is a protest song. Um, you know? Like, I think it absolutely is nowadays. Mm. Um, you know, it it feels like a, an old spiritual protest song. Um, it, absolutely. And I'm um, sure that's where it takes its uh, musical ins- inspiration from, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, and just the, even just the writing of it, like the punctuation yeah. and the orchestra, it's it's really impressively written mm-hmm. as a song. And I think, you know, you can 
very easily let it glance off you as this very powerful thing. Just it's a yes. wall of sound. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But I would really implore people to take their time to actually just really go in yeah. and listen to the words and listen yeah. to the placement. Yeah. Um, because it is smart. Yeah. It's smart. And well, I think that is what allows it to be so dynamic. Exactly. You know? And it is it is one of those songs, like as we've talked about, even with like Great Comet, where like mm. listening to listening to it on its own is powerful in one thing. Listening yep. to it at the end of act one of this musical is a whole yeah. nother experience. Completely. Um, Completely. You know, I, I do think there's an interesting thing, which is something that has made me a little uncomfortable about the show for a while. And it's, yeah, I think difficult to talk around, but is there is this like white saviorism that maybe is or isn't written into the show. Um, yeah. You know, and like, Hashtag continued disclaimer, Jimmy and I are very white and are talking outside of our lane, 100%. Exactly, um, exactly. We're outsiders looking in. But there's something, especially about the mother character, which we might talk more about in um, uh, some of the sexism and feminism of the time. Which, yes. Which perhaps gives her more of an entry into this world. I don't know. In being perhaps. in an out group, in a different minority. Um, but there is a little bit of, like, the only person who can save the black man is the white man. Um, and, uh, you know, that's I – th- I think this musical actually confronts that in an interesting and provocative and productive way. Um, yes. Because by the end of the show, Colehouse is a bad guy. Yes. See, but that's the problem because you responded like that, right? And that's the thing the show wants to provoke, right? Yeah. If you just look at Cole House's, if you just like, if you just meet Act Two, Cole House, you just exactly meet Act he's, two a Cole House, he's a villain. He's a villain, right? And if yeah. you meet Act One, Cole House, you're like, of course he did that. He had no other option. Yeah. And there, ooh, that is divisive. It is divisive. It's like um. Oh, this is probably inappropriate. I don't care. Um, the with Drag Race. Okay, sure. Right. We're, of course, yeah. we're bringing in a Drag Race reference. Um, one of the things I found really tricky recently mm-hmm. uh, with Drag Race was last season. You've been keeping up? No, but you can fill me in. I'll keep up. Okay. So in season ten, uh, there's a queen called the Vixen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, her opening line was, uh, "I've come here to fight." Mm, okay. <laughs> and and fight she did. You know. Yeah. I mean it really there was a lot of passion mm-hmm. in the vixen absolutely um and there was a lot of confrontation that happened yeah. about issues not necessarily to do with race but one of the things that kept getting brought up was this idea of like poking the bear mm, um okay. which i think she coined um and uh this idea of uh a black man black woman black person mm-hmm. uh having this kind of inbuilt aggression hmm. okay not aggression that's not the right word but no, like but that's that's a thing that I inbuilt mean, like, conflict yeah i don't know if that's uh, i mean maybe that's something that exists in american culture but like that is a trope that is abused and is racist um right like there you know you can find tons of racist propaganda from this time and later and around the civil rights movement that say terrible terrible things like you know the black man is aggressive the black man is naturally more you know and like duh racist wrong but is it is a trope that you know, you see it in the news all the time. Like, yeah. you see the same news story about a crime committed by a black person and a crime right, committed by exactly, a white yeah. person, and the black yeah. person is automatically described as being more violent. Um, yeah. 
So absolutely. That's, that's a thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that was, that was a big discussion around it. And in the reunion episode, mm-hmm. um, it gets brought up. Um, and it really, it just, it's really interesting because RuPaul has the discussion with her and RuPaul is very kind of disapproving of her behavior. Hmm. Okay. Um, and one of the other Queens, uh, Asia O'Hara, mm-hmm. who's one of the top four, mm-hmm. uh, has this kind of emotion so uh, sorry um the vixen ends up leaving the reunion she just okay. s- storms off yeah um and the way that rupaul kind of treated it was as a like well there you go yeah you know mm-hmm. like a da 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 um and asia mm-hmm. had this honestly like the one of the again most genuine like raw emotional things i've seen this breakdown where she's like why aren't we helping her like yeah. why are we accepting this as like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, aggressive. Yeah. They're just done. angry. Yeah. Yeah. Why aren't we saying, why aren't we hearing that she's crying out for help? Right. Yeah. And why aren't we helping her? You know, she is our sister. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, now, why did I bring that up? Why did I bring that up? I mean, we're talking about white saviorism. I mean, there is... We're talking about white saviorism. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that was it. Is it, it, it. It brought into this idea of... Uh, no, I don't know. I can't remember. There, Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> there is yeah. something of that that I wonder about in the writing of this show and in the creation of the show. You look yes. at the inception of the show, everyone on the creation list, and like this is always a nervous thing to say, but because I, I don't want to get it wrong, but this is a, a this is a white creation group, right? Yeah. We talked about this about Aaron's and Flaherty with Once on this Island. Yeah, um, completely. And like, is that okay? Is that not okay? Um, you know, the eternal do you, question. Do you need representation of your outgroup in the thing you're writing about the outgroup? Um, yeah. And it's it's nuanced and subtle. It is a difficult thing to talk around. Yeah. But you wonder if some of Cole House's portrayal comes from that kind of trope and that kind of stereotype of the angry yeah. black person. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that was why that's why I brought it up it was because. When I listen to Cole House at the end of the show, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily thinking of villain. Right. I'm thinking of uh, we need to help. Yeah, you know what I mean. And not me as in me, white man. I need to go in and right, help. Exactly. Well, poor black man. But the community need to come together right. and work out what's going on. Yeah, and that's the thing. And that is why I find the concept of white saviorism in relationship to the show difficult to talk about because yeah. like you know you even look at mother taking in um sarah and colehouse's baby and baby, then yeah and then later adopting it right yeah completely when when they're both gone um and th- nowadays like viewing this as a contemporarily written piece something yeah. about that feels very white saviorism is like look at this one good white person from the past who mm-hmm. did a good thing for a black person mm-hmm. um but i do think some of the writing around the show appropriately and adequately couches that in like i think it adequately and appropriately couches that it's hard to describe mm-hmm. exactly how um but still in a way that makes part of my mind feel uncomfortable like mm. You know, it's a thing we struggle with all the time on this show is like, how do you be an ally? How do you be an advocate um, yeah. without also 
appropriating or stepping on like how do you make sure you are always listening you're always being aware of you know the group that is not your story who are you, you are trying to help and listen to and you know the same thing and vocalize, like, and, vocalize. You know, and and yeah. tell people about yeah and like onto a platform and give them the platform and like all this stuff yeah. but it it <sighs> takes a kind of subtlety that is really difficult to get right i think yeah. ragtime gets it right but on a tightrope for sure completely um yeah totally i think one of the good parts of ragtime Mm -hmm. is the character of younger brother Mm -hmm. yes and his relationship with cole house now as well what i guess we should be saying is this isn't aaron's and flaherty who are making this up right this is it's not terrence mcnally this is el doctoral so we're kind of going back to that yeah point like it's it's Um, in the book yeah uh but the from certainly the presentation of it in mm-hmm. the musical, um, the character of younger brother is yes. a really interesting one because here's someone who it kind of almost fits into what we just talked about of yeah. someone who wants to be an ally. He yeah. wants to help so desperately, um, so desperate. And that's the thing is it's the, this desperation of, you know, and maybe there is a, a selfish aspect to his personality. He wants to do it to feel fulfilled. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is, there is a, a white savior element to it, yeah, but perhaps. he doesn't get brought in as the white savior. Right. He very much gets brought in as the, I don't, I don't quite know. It's, it's not I something mean, you really ever see you know, in fiction. I know, I know how to blow things up. Like, yeah, he, that's, he, you know, he's not a savior. Um, yeah. in, in the like a hundred meters away view of this story. Right. Yeah. You know, his existence in this story eventually hurts people people yeah. who deserve it in in fiction um mm-hmm. but still like that it i think yeah you're right he is a a good nuanced depiction of this allyness yeah i think um it's good that father mm-hmm. doesn't win yes yes you know what i mean because yeah. he could very much like come on a journey right. and be like do you know what i get it right. come into my lovely family. Yes. I have explored the world and seen people who are different like you. Welcome. Right? Yes, exactly. Um, he's he's constantly conflicted until yeah. the end and then he dies. Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite... Yeah. And you know, he's, he's not a villain. He's, you know, I mean, he's, yeah. he's not really painted... He's like, not he's a villain. Can... He's not particularly painted as, like, overtly <laughs> racist in the show. He's just no, kind of tangentially racist like everyone else at the time. Yes, um, yes. And then he, he goes away. He would have gently closed the door yeah. and gently turned the key and gently told me not to look for fear what I might see. Yeah. That's that's him. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's that, like, it's okay. Yeah. We'll it just is, turn our heads away. Like, through, through, the, the, through one lens the really and it seems weird to say but like the progression of the white identity through this is one of acceptance and understanding of Mm. concepts beyond your life um yes and that is a thing that is contemporary and that a lot of white people need to experience um and if they need if they experience it through ragtime in a only mildly challenging way it's Mm -hmm. it's an appropriate venue for that right like mother certainly has some terrible times through this but not compared to anyone else in the story right yeah um you know she gets married and has children who continue to survive and she gets to take care of through the end of it right yeah um through you know like oh what a crazy couple years i had um (laughs) yeah but you know 
marries an immigrant, adopts a black kid. Like, yeah, exactly. She's going to have a rough life. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, if you yeah, like, can you imagine no. being an aristocratic white lady in the 1910s with a black kid and, you know, an Eastern immigrant, an Eastern European immigrant husband? Like, yeah. It's just lucky that Tate ends up rich. I know, right? Um, Yeah, for her. Um, Yeah. Like, that that is what teeters me away from the white saviorism. But like, oh man, just barely. And I think that's that's the the key and the beauty of this show, is Mm -hmm. that it it only just gets there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Mother's a really interesting one. Because, so one of the things that I really love Mm -hmm. in fiction is when... Uh, we look back to a time period mm-hmm. and we look at the outliers. Yes. Right? So it's not looking back to the turn of the century and seeing the music man right. and the women in the music man, yes. which are god-awful. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's looking back and trying to find the mothers mm-hmm. uh, who are questioning and yeah. who don't feel confident. Yeah. And it's nice, I think, with her character to see um, the growth that yes. she goes through and to really feel the conflict along with her. You know, she's not, she's not made her mind up yet. Right. We see that. We see the cogs turning throughout the show and then we get back to before and yeah. we can never, you know, we, we can, can never, never go back. back I've made before. my decision and I've, I've kind of, yeah. yeah, I've opened up my eyes to this world now and this is the world that I yeah. want to live in. Yeah. Um, I think that's really lovely and it's honestly one of my favorite things in fiction. And I think, um, it's often with women mm-hmm. that I like to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, so the, the show that I wrote mm-hmm. uh, with my friend, that was one of the things that we wanted to explore mm-hmm. was a very similar thing of women, British women this time um, at the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, but we didn't write the journey. She'd already been on that journey. Mm-hmm. She decided this is like pre suffragette. Yeah. Yeah. What was happening there? What were they doing to not put up with it? Right. When they were forced to put up with it. Yeah. They're, you know, these are the questions that I'm always really interested yeah. in. They're they're the pioneers we haven't celebrated yet. They're yeah. Like the people who did it first who we have yet to discover. Um yeah. who like belong in the history books of tomorrow. Exactly. Cuz like Rosa Parks, we know all about. Right. But I'm sure she wasn't the only one. Yeah, she wasn't the first. Um so uh mm-hmm. her name was Claudette colvin um right she was 15 she got on a bus she sat in the front was asked to move to the back and didn't um right but she also i believe at the time was pregnant and unwed um wow okay and they there was a worry that like that wouldn't be the best face of the movement yeah and so it's a little lost to history um, well, there you and go. then nine months later, Rosa Parks did it, and yep. the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. And and both deserve recognition. Don't get me exactly. wrong. Exactly. But there and are the countless others that never made it into the headlines, right? Exactly. For whatever reason. Well, and that you know? you know, it is the difference between um, the reality of history and the story we tell of history, which is the trap that ragtime could so easily fall into. Yes. Um, and I think stro- well does a little bit, um, and this is the problem. And is only is shrouded in mystery because they've buried it pretty well. But mm-hmm. the so do you, do you ever do you ever find it weird, Jimmy? There's a whole song in this show about Henry Ford. Yep. Um, 
Henry Ford is like Henry Ford certainly did a couple revolutionary things in his lifetime, um, mm-hmm. and also was a pretty big anti-Semite. Um, did mm-hmm. not like Jewish people, um, and the premiere of Ragtime was at the Toronto Center for the Arts in Toronto. But it was not called the Toronto Center for the Arts at the time. Um, It was called the Ford Center for the Performing Arts. And the rumor is, the reason Ford and Henry Ford and the Model T, and we say it a lot in the show, has Mm -hmm. to do with some money or some sponsorship. Some of that's more overt than others. Um, Mm -hmm. You know. And, like, Henry Ford, there's lots of really nice things written online about how Henry and Ford employed black people and, you know, took in a lot of immigrants in his factories and things like that. And there's a lot of things about how Hitler thought he was the only great person in America. Um, and it's hard to get through. There is mm. one of the most fascinating experiences of my life. There is, I'm reticent to call it a museum, but that's maybe the closest thing you could call it to call it. Mm. It's called the Henry Ford. It's in Michigan. Um, right. It is a, a large portion of it is a historical village, um, okay. and much of it was created by Henry Ford. Um, like he, one of the big things he did was he took um, all the buildings in Menlo Park, which is where Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Okay, yeah, and took them apart brick by brick and moved them to this site in Michigan, and like meticulously like they dug up the dirt and laid down the dirt from where menlo park was and set it all up and it's all you know all these real historic buildings from like the bike shop where the wright brothers worked before they invented the airplane um and things like that and it's a really nice place to go to and they're really nice docents who will tell you all sorts of wonderful things about henry ford and there's a subtle underpinning about how it's just like here are the white people who invented all the things, right? Yeah, yeah, and here totally. and here is the history we want to remember. Look, I put it all in one place so that mm-hmm. we remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, Ford's still a big company and their PR department does a pretty good job at delicately dancing around these things on the internet in the same yeah. way that we're never allowed to see a picture of Walt Disney smoking a cigarette. Um, exactly, yeah. Like, it's the same sort of thing. And, you know, for all of its pluses, there's a couple things in ragtime that yeah. still are tinges of this. I know. I wonder if that's... I wonder if that's written in anywhere. I know. It'd be fascinating to know. It'd be fascinating to know. I feel like I, I tried to, I, it feels like the sort of thing I read an article about 10 years ago. Um, yeah. And I tried to track down more solid evidence online right now and I can't. Um, mm. So, you know, as I do often on the internet, I might be talking out of my ass a bit. Um, <laughs> but I'd love But it, it certainly sounds right, you know, because the, the car section. Yeah. The whole, I mean, the wheels of a dream on its own. Mm-hmm. I know. Could be, can't you see it in an advertisement for the new Ford you're about to buy? Exactly. Um, it's always sat really weirdly with me. Yeah. I've never, I've never read the book. It might be hugely prominent in yeah. the book. Who knows? You know, this whole car thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to be corrected on that, but I yeah. find it strange that that's the song that they sing. Right. That and- we will ride, like this car full of hope. Yeah. Like they're using this wonderful, beautiful car. When if you you look to through shape the their you look through the whole show, like the only character down to the minor characters who yeah. has no flaws is Henry Ford. 
<laughs> for it. You know, Harry uh, Houdini has some mi- minor flaws. Like all the other minor characters in the show have at least minor flaws, if not major flaws. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's really funny. Except Henry Ford. And he has such a cool song, that, that yeah. we no, harmonica. It's a great song. Yeah. It's great. But even like <laughs> Booker T. Washington has some moments where he's like, you know, well, I, yeah. I, I disagree with this or I don't have time for this. Um, and like appropriately so, but is not mm-hmm. this wholesome, pardon the f- expression, but whitewashed figure like right. Henry Ford is. Yeah. Interesting. Good point. Yeah, because he's so minor. Of all the historical characters, I know. he's so minor. Why even include him? Yeah. Why? Because the whole thing is, like, they, they cut Freud. Like, Freud's mm-hmm. a really significant part in the book. Yeah. They cut him out completely. Gone. Um, you know. Through all for, of the revisions. Like, the getting ready rag doesn't mm. need, like, and then he w- bought a car. Yeah. Getting ready rag. Done. Right? Exactly. And then if they just said... He drove, because obviously, car. yes, like oh, maybe you do need to see. No, you have to build up. You have to build up. No, I think you, you have need to build, build up, the relationship between him and his car. You have to build up the importance of the car, but we don't need to hear about the assembly line. We don't need to hear mm. about the car. Like we don't need that. We and don't Henry, need to know that it's a Ford. And also, Henry Ford didn't sell Cole House his car. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like <laughs> it's not not how that worked. Yeah, that's true. So, anyway, there's my crazy conspiracy theory that may or may not be true. Exactly. Um, But I think, you know. For what it's worth, like, compared to other musicals, maybe one day we'll finally cut the Henry Ford song. Potentially. That would be cool. Yeah. We'll see what happens. That, and we'll cut the baseball game just to see. Just to see how it pans out. How we feel. See if we're emotionally dead by the end of it. Or maybe they'll go. That's two upbeats that you've cut. Maybe they'll go some other way and they'll cast Nathan Lane as father and just add more jokes. Can you imagine? (laughs) That would be weird. That would be quite weird. Um, Hmm. Don't do that, please. We put a lot of things out there. Yes. That isn't one of them. Love you, Nathan Lane. Not your show. What they did to her, what they took from her. She had life in her lord. She had my baby. Look what they left of her, left of her, left of my girl. She was nothing
a Tommy. That was ragtime. That was ragtime. We made it, is, it. It is always interesting to me when our podcast ends up being about as long as the show itself. <laughs> I know. I know. Exactly. And actually, interestingly, if you listen to it alongside ragtime, yes, yes. it syncs It syncs perfectly. up. Yeah. Ragtime in one ear and Dark Side of the Moon in the other ear. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Here, can I give a weird shout out? Absolutely. To my friend Brian uh, Gilbert. Who is a who became a viral YouTube sensation <laughs> um, because of one video he did, which I'll put. But he does these really cool things where he redubs uh-huh. um, television shows. Uh-huh. So I think he's done it so far with the first series of The Crown, maybe the first episode. I can't remember first episode, first series, um, and Stranger Things first. Uh, series of stranger things for huh. series or first episode i can't remember that's really bad um so basically what you do is you mute your netflix and then you hit play at the exact same time mm. well no it counts you down it counts you, you like play. three two one hit play and then it'll sync up exactly with this redub yeah. wait brian gilbert brian david gilbert yes from uh the shingles song one of the best ditties on youtube no but also yes Wait, what's that? Currently works for Polygon.com and yeah, makes yeah, internet yeah. What's videos. Song? What's oh, you should watch it. It's really funny. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen everything he's done. What? I can't think of what that is. It's a song he wrote. I hope we're talking about the same person. It's a song no, he wrote he, about. Well, yeah, it works for Polygon. It's a song we're talking, he, uh, where he had shingles and then he wrote a song about Oh, it. I remember that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. The very same BDG. It is. Yeah, a, he, he was in Edinburgh for a spell. It is a tiny internet world. Isn't it just? Um, he's very funny. He's very funny and very talented, and does riff tracks that sync up with the crown. And does yes. Um, why did I bring that? Oh, because we said that that's exactly Dark what this Side podcast does. Yes. Inspired by Brian David Gilbert. But more importantly, Jimmy has a quiz question for you. <laughs> I do. He's ready. It's been a while. Hope those brains are warm. <laughs> um, okay. In what show does? Patty Lapone do her best alphabet impression and fly at the end of Act One. It's Gypsy. No, um. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> Everything it would be kind of work for me and for you. Yo, up into the rafters. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's make it happen. Revival. Anyway, if you want to get in contact, I'm Musical Mash on Twitter and Musical Theater Mash on YouTube. And I am as in Hendrix on Twitter and Instagram because I'm doing that. I've got, <laughs> oh. I got quite a lot of Instagram followers after saying that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, or you can check out our show Twitter at Jim and Tomic or our website jimandtomic.com, which has a link to our Patreon page. Shout out to all our patrons. Y'all rock. A woohoo! Um, and you can also head on over to Reddit at Musical Mash, uh, where we'll be talking up a storm all about ragtime. I think we get a lot of chat about this. This is oh, yeah. going to be a big, big chat. I'm excited session. to hear what we did wrong. Um... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're back. Tell your friends who've been waiting for new episodes that we're back. Yeah, we're very much back. This is great. Who knew? Who knew? We did. And thanks again for all your patience. We, we do. Yeah, appreciate it. We appreciate it, and we adore you, and you're all amazing. And uh, it's June. Happy Pride. It it might not be June when we upload. Oh well, I hope you had a great Pride. (laughs) Gay.
cool. That'd be great. Easy as that. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.